0: Welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, the podcast of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society.
1: Every episode, we upload for you the expertise, insights, and opinions of thought leaders, innovators, and creators on topics at the intersection of technology and society.
0: We'll cover pervasive and emerging technologies that are influencing and impacting our business, education, governments, research, and culture. I'm Jay. I'm Jessica. And I'm John. And we're the co-producers of the Austin Forum Upload. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for this episode of the Austin Forum Upload. I'm Jay Boisseau, the Executive Director and Founder of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, and I'm here with my co-host.
1: My name is Jessica Sager, and I am the Managing Director at the Austin Forum on Technology and Society.
0: And we're very excited to have this fun episode in which we're going to talk about UFOs and unexplained aerial phenomena. This has been in the news a lot lately. Uh, This is going to be a more scientific and objective look at this fun topic. And we're very pleased to have a special guest. He comes to the Austin forum events in person a lot and he's a longtime friend and my advisor for my PhD thesis in astronomy, Craig Wheeler. Craig, you want to introduce yourself to the audience?
2: Sure. I'm J. Craig Wheeler, the Samuel T. Infern Yanagasawa Regents Professor of Astronomy Emeritus at the University of Texas at Austin.
0: So I'm super pleased to have you on this podcast today, Craig. Thanks for joining us. This is always one of those fun topics that as an astronomy student, you know you're studying physics and science and you're supposed to be appropriately skeptical, but, you know, I couldn't help but love the occasional class where we talked about you know, the possibilities of life beyond Earth. And of course, that has come up a lot in the news lately with all these released reports about, I guess the government calls them unexplained aerial phenomena or UAPs. Mm-hmm. People more commonly refer to it as unidentified flying objects or UFOs. And I, are, are those terms pretty interchangeable?
2: No. Uh, and, and you've already concatenated a couple of things, which of course is a very natural thing to do but we're all interested in knowing whether there's life out there, whether we're alone, are there aliens out there, all those kinds of questions. And there are unidentified aerial phenomena. But the question of whether those two topics overlap is, you know, one what, what, what of the subjects. And I think speaking as a scientist, one has to carefully separate those at some level. Maybe they overlap, but, but while we're having this discussion, we need to differentiate them. And I I also I I really appreciate the fact that uh, the government is now, in all its wisdom, is calling these unidentified aerial phenomena rather than unidentified flying objects because we don't exactly know they're flying. We do know they're objects. (laughs) I I even wonder, I'm not terribly skeptical. I, I think this is a fascinating topic. I think we really need to understand what unidentified aerial phenomena are. I mean, it's a really valid you know, human question. It's a valid scientific question. We really need to understand what they are. Uh, but I even, you know, trying to be as skeptical as possible, I wonder about the word aerial. Uh, suppose it's something not in somebody's brain, a Navy pilot's brain, but something nearby uh, fluctuation in something around the aircraft or something. Does that make it aerial? Probably. But, but I think it's important to, to separate the vocabulary and separate the ideas and, and not uh, mush them together too arbitrarily. I wanted to say a word about my history, if I could, in this. Okay. Because as, as an astronomer, I, you know, I'm interested in the question of life out there and all that. And, and I'm certainly not an expert in the unidentified aerial phenomenon. But I have pondered it for a very long time. So the thing I was going to show you, which I will do, I will show you and, and Jessica that, that people won't be able to see it. Uh, was when I was a graduate student, there was a book that came out, Scientific Study of Unidentifying Flag Objects. Uh, written by a guy, a uh, professor at uh, physics at the University of Colorado, uh, by the name of Edward Condon. And he had been the head of something called Project Blue Book, which was back in the 60s, the version of what the government is doing now. So they've been doing it for a very long time. And and so in some sense, there's nothing new under the sun, although people are more rigorous. And, and it also says... Uh, that's got a, a dedication on it uh, for Craig Wheeler. No supernovae here. Uh, signed by Ed Condon in uh, whoa March of 1969. I'm uh, dating myself. So, so I've pondered these things for a long time, and and whether that gives me any expertise or not, I don't know. But I've got some perspective on them.
1: I'm curious, so since you just picked up that book from 1963, so if that book was written today, what are some of the things that are available now? I mean, in addition to what we're seeing in the news, like that weren't available then in terms of technology and being able to answer the question?
2: Yeah, there's. I think there's a, a couple of things come to mind. And again, I'm not really an expert, so I'm bluffing my way through this. Um, there there are now the, these Navy pilots and, and film recordings of things that are reasonably objective. Whereas so much of the the, the UFOology, if I can call that, is you know anecdotal and individuals and, and hard to verify. And I think that's still a problem. That, that is how do you how do you quantify this phenomenon? And even with the, the Navy pilot reports, uh, you know, they're scattered, there's only a few, you can't do the kind of observation you would like to do, you can't do the ex- kind of experiment you would like to do in this quick anecdotal uh, phenomenological thing. And that, that just makes it a hard topic to, to try to turn it into a real piece of science.
0: So what do you think is spurring all of this public interest now and in this seemingly, I don't want to say realistic, but more credible uh, interest in the topic? I mean, we, we have declassified some reports recently We've seen some video that I guess has been released and we've seen interviews with, you know, seemingly credible people. Is it is it really just the release of information that has been there for a while, but it's been a a sudden and recent release of stuff that has spurred the new public interest?
2: Well, that's why I flashed the Condon book at you. This has been around for a long time. And, yeah, I think the current interest is because there's a current report. And and then it gets picked up, and President Obama comments on it, and people pick up on that. So, you know, I think it's one of these things that just kind of comes every once in a while. Attention focuses. Uh, But but I must say that having the Navy pilots talk credibly about what they saw and how puzzled they were, that's that's a real thing that requires some some attention. On on the other other hand. You know, you got to be careful about the way they're describing this and, and parsing it. And even President Obama, I'll, I'll come back to that. Uh, but, but they're saying some things that are truly unidentified aerial phenomena. So they are saying uh, there's some things we can't figure out. But one has to keep in mind that the vast majority are figured out. They're airplanes, they're. Uh, whether cloud they're formations, to... they're Venus. Their, I mean, so the vast majority uh, of things people, uh, one can't explain. So so you kind of winnow those all out. It's the things that you can't explain that are clearly interesting. Well, maybe that... pilot then, I'm sorry, Jessica, let me just finish that, thought, that. When a Navy pilot says, I saw it, I filmed it, there's something really strange going on. that That is kind of new. But there are reports of pilots seeing things You know, in in the Blue Book report, it's been around for a long time.
1: Well, I think that brings up an interesting point, too. So as a scientist, how would you encourage people to listen and read the reports and articles? So we're seeing so much in the media now, partially because of the news cycle and everything. So what are the filters? What should people be thinking about when they're seeing these things?
2: Uh Aha. I'm glad you asked. And that doesn't mean to stop, Jay. I'm just waving my finger. Um, One of the things you have to keep an eye out for when anybody says, uh, I saw an object, and, and, I, and this includes Navy pilots, and I am in awe of Navy pilots. This isn't a criticism of all the fact they could land those aircraft on a pitching aircraft carrier. I, just, I can't believe it. But, but to say, I saw something that was this big and that far away, you should immediately throw red flags at that. Because as an astronomer, we know, and you can apply this to other things, particularly as an astronomer, you cannot go outside and look up at the sky at the stars and figure out how far away they are. You can't even figure out this star is closer than that star. It's just, it's really hard. And we've spent our whole you know, 10,000 year profession of astronomers figuring out how to do that, figuring out how far away things are. So, so anytime you say an object was this far above the ground or was at that altitude or it was that distance or it was that big, uh, it's really hard to know that. So you've, you've got to you, know, you got to step back and say, well, what do we know about that? What does that person know about it? And, and I'm intrinsically skeptical of those kind of claims. And 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 then you know where you go from there, I don't know. But 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 as a person just trying to keep these things straight, I'd be really careful about statements about how big things are and how far away things are and what altitude they're
0: they're at. So yeah, I, you, you bring up a couple of really good points there. One is that the vast majority of these incidents have been explained, and the ones that make the news are the ones that are not currently explained. And rarely do they make the news if later they are explained. So it's a small subset of these aerial uh, phenomena that are classified as such that we don't know the answer and they seem to be something weird. And, and as you said, you know, the eyes can deceive. You can think something is small and closed that is actually large and far away. And that changes the aspects of not just its size and distance, but its relative motion and things like that. The eyes can play tricks on you. And of course, there's reflections and there's glass involved in cockpits and there's atmospheric issues and all of this. So unexplained doesn't mean unnatural.
2: Uh, exactly, yeah, unexplained does not mean unnatural. I, the, the other aspect to that is, and, and this is, you know, not honestly stated. I haven't read this current report. I thought it wasn't actually out until another few weeks now, didn't I read? Anyway, I haven't read it. And I've, I've seen some of the Navy videos uh, briefly. Uh, but one of the things they don't say and they are not going to say explicitly is there are surely classified things out there that are seen by people. And the government is not going to say anything about it. Thank you very much. So They say we we don't understand what these are. They are you know, subsuming a, a category of things that are hyper secret and they know what they are and they know. You know that navy pilot saw one of those, but we're not talking about those. That, that you know people were were flying stealth aircraft for a decade more before those became public, and right. and that was that was thirty years ago. Uh, what in the world has the pit Pentagon been doing since then? And I'm sure it's a lot. I don't I don't know what it is. It's secret. I, I don't have the classified. So so there's the, there's this category of. You know, it's if, if the government, so this is also new in the recent report, uh, the, the specificity by which they are saying, you know, we know classified stuff. And these things we're telling you we haven't been able to identify, they're not that. We're, going to, we're not going to talk about the classified stuff. We're just telling you this is not some classified thing that, that even we don't know what it is. So that makes it more interesting. And that's, that's a bit more definitive statement than I think we've seen in the past. I guess the, the other thing, that, while I'm on a, a slight roll here, I, coming back to President Obama's comment that there are things we don't understand. I, I, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like that. Um, th- there surely are. But that doesn't mean they are aliens. It just means we don't understand it and the other important thing about that is you can't prove a negative you know eventually someone might be able to prove that there are aliens if it's a positive thing but if if unidentified aerial phenomena are not aliens no one is going to be able to prove that you can't prove a negative so you kind of have to keep that in mind as well while you're contemplating all of
1: this but that brings up and a question i wanted to ask so if people don't know then they're going to make assumptions so what are the options what are the various things people should be thinking about in terms of different options for explaining the currently unexplained aerial phenomena
2: yeah i, I mean i wish i had a really concrete answer to that but but I, in in thinking about this in general before uh, jay raised the question doing this uh, podcast uh and and jay's mentioned this already things like reflections and stuff now it can't just be a casual reflection, I think. But again, I don't know exactly how this works. But you see these Navy films and, and, and you see what the camera sees. And you also have the pilot statement. I saw this thing. So you've got you know, two different statements about this unidentified uh, phenomenon. But I, I don't know how the, the camera works. Is the pilot... Is the camera projecting something on the screen that the pilot's seeing at the same time, or does he really have a an independent line of sight on whatever this object is? And I, I just I just don't know, but but it, it still leaves open the possibility that that it is some kind of aerial phenomenon or some weird kind, ball lightning. I mean, we've been through that for 60 years, and I, I don't think it's ball lightning particularly. but but whether it is is some kind of, Reflection or aerial phenomenon that is dancing around in some way and giving you the impression that it's moving very fast, or ducking under the ocean, or uh, something. I, you, uh, you know, w- without really getting a grip on the data, it, it's it's hard to say. But but that's the kind of thing I'm, I, I'm I'm thinking about is some kind of a phenomenon. I mean, you know, when you you have an airplane flying towards you and it, it looks like it's you know, some light in the sky, it, it, it's, it's doing its crosswind and then it turns downwind or upwind, I guess, to land. But but the beams of that airplane are pointed at you and all it has to do is change its angle the tiniest little bit and bam, it winks out. And it gives you, whoa, something really fast happened. And, you know, no, it just changed its direction a little bit. There's nothing magic about it at all. So some kind of phenomenon like that is where my Mine kind of goes, but I I can't say, okay, I know exactly how that's going to work in a way that explains what some Navy pilot has said. But here's another thought. What is it about Navy pilots? And and again, coming back to the point that I'm in awe of them, but, but why is it Navy pilots? I'm asking myself, and I'm being a little facetious, but not entirely. They fly over the water. Is there something about some ocean air interface that creates these phenomena. And, and then it's the baby pilots that are flying over the San Diego Bay, and they're the ones that see it because the Air Force pilots are flying over Nevada or some such <laughs> thing where you don't see it. I, it may be that Air Force pilots also see them or commercial pilots. I think there are examples of
0: that. There are some examples of that, but you're well, right, the most recent ones. A little bit of water.
2: But I'm, yeah. I'm trying to sort of illustrate for Jessica the you know, kind of where my yeah. mind goes to, this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to take all these various little bits and clues and, and see whether they, they fit into some pattern. And I, I don't have an answer for it. That's just where my scientist mind goes. One other thing, I have a few notes here. I'll get through all of them and we'll go back to your questions again. Uh, another is coming back to the the unidentified flying objects and, and question of whether they're aliens or not just a background issue but which still dominates my mind at some level is is astronomers look out there at everything we can look at with every technique we have x-rays gamma rays radio ultraviolet infrared optical light neutrinos every vehicle we can think of and and there is not a hint of anything macroscopic alien flying around in, in flying saucers like that. That we, we have a standing joke if there's some unknown phenomenon, it's probably a Klingon battleship, but it's never turned out to be a Klingon battleship. So oh. maybe it'll turn out to be someday. I'm just saying that astronomers study the universe with, with every wit and technique we have, there, there's not a hint. Uh, why there's not... Anything out there obvious to see is one of the mysteries that we debate, the Drake equation, and all of that. We don't have to go into that, but it, it's rather
0: a mystery that we seem to be alone. Actually, I was hoping you would bring up the Drake equation, because when I took one of my very first undergraduate Astronomy classes at the University of Virginia, and uh, Bob Rude was teaching that class. Oh, yeah. oh Bob did a great job with it. That's right. And He was one of the co-authors of that book, and I can't quite remember the title, but it was about SETI, and it was all about the Drake Equation and all the astronomy and everything that we knew at that time to try to assign rough values to all of it. And for the listeners, the Drake Equation is this equation that estimates the number of current intelligent communicating civilizations in the galaxy. And there were a lot of adjectives in there. And it, it, it's, it, the, stru- the equation was structured and okay, well, let's start with the number of stars in the galaxy and then let's whittle it down. The fraction that form planets, the fractions that have planets in the continuously habitable zone the fraction for which the star lives long enough for life to evolve on the planet over a few billion years, the fraction that the life there evolves to be intelligent, the fraction that of the intelligent life that isn't dolphins but becomes something that builds tools and the fraction that desires to communicate. And then of course, does it blow itself up? What's the lifetime of that civilization? And back when I took that class in 19, <clears throat> long time ago, uh, the, uh, the answer was often one because of how astronomers assign those variables. And yet, since then, we found evidence that we were probably wrong in our conservative estimates for how many stars have planets and how many planets are in continuously habitable zones and things like that. So most people, it seems like with the Drake equation, they kind of think the answer might be greater than one. Now, there might be other such, or at least statistically, scientifically. Doesn't mean we can detect them yet. Doesn't mean they're visiting us for sure. But it seems like people are starting to warm to the idea that there's life elsewhere and maybe intelligent life elsewhere.
2: Uh, perhaps, but the Drake equation gets harder and harder. as you go. That, that was a wonderful recitation of it, by the way, uh, spontaneously. Uh, it, we do know now that uh, how many stars there are roughly in the galaxy. Yep. We now know, which we didn't 20 years ago, that almost all of those stars have planets. That's it's been an amazing uh, revolution in, in the astronomy game. How many of them are in the around the habitable zone and all, still a little dicey, but people are, are working on that. That's much more solid now. Those first yeah. of the Drake equation and, and there's not to trivialize that at all. But then by the time you get to, you know, how long does it take to evolve and when do you invent tools and do you kill yourself and uh, do you want to communicate? You start you get into not just sociological issues, you get into alien sociological issues. Issues and, and then it's you know, then it, it gets very tough. So, I, I think, uh, I, you know, I don't know. People are hopeful. Astronomers mostly think there's going to be microbes out there. I think most of us are agnostic on whether there's you know, eight you know, intelligent aliens like us. Uh, their, their technology is probably so advanced beyond ours that we it would be magic to us, we wouldn't recognize it. Uh, my particular fantasy is they've learned how to uh, function in higher dimensional space, the way string theory talks about, and and they wouldn't bother sending radio signals through ordinary three D space. That that's that's crazy. Any more than we communicate with drums anymore, right? We have. We have fiber optic cables. We don't we don't use drums and smoke signals anymore. <laughs> so it may be something like that. They're just their technology is far beyond us. They have ways of communicating. They're all over the place. It's just we don't have the means to uh, and the wits to detect it. Not one fantasy possibility. Another possibility is they're robots. That in order to get off their planet, they had the Merge with their robots and their tiny little things, and we don't recognize them when we see them. And then the ancillary question is: are, are we going to become space travelers someday? And and if so, are we going to have to merge with our machines and and become robots ourselves by the time we get off this planet in uh, in a major sort of way and start filling the galaxy, which we you
0: know aspire to do. Well, I don't think we said it in the uh, intro of the podcast. We talked about it before we started, but Craig, you're also a science fiction author as well. And so as you shared some of those possibilities there, you know, your natural long career as being a scientist makes you appropriately skeptical. But if you had to write a science fiction book about an alien civilization coming to earth, would you pick the option? It's here to help us, eat us, enslave us, or destroy us. Yes, (laughs) <laughs>
1: that would be the big <laughs> all four. of them.
0: Uh, yeah, no,
2: that's a that's a great question. I think um I, I I'm temporizing a little bit, but one of my favorite movies of all time is still the day the earth stood still, and and the uh, the alien guy and that robot. I just I still just love them to pieces. Uh, and he was here to say, you know, clean up your act or, or we'll clean it up for you. And so it was kind of a mix of uh, you know, beneficial things and, and a threat. You, know, you don't, don't play nicely. We're, we're just, you know, you're out of here. Uh, I, I think if I were to write a story about that, because it, it merges into, and Jay, you know this, but just to go ahead and give it a plug, I'm writing a book on the future of humanity. And, and the question of where we're going with artificial intelligence and robots and brain computer interfaces and things like CRISPR-Cas9 that allow us to alter our own biology, all of that is going to take us in a new way faster than we think. And, and a question of whether we end up being part machine or all machine or something million years from now, uh, I, I don't know, but but I think that the prospect of a of a machine evolution is high enough that it would capture my imagination as a writer and, and to try to capture that in some way. And then, you know, I, I guess it's another thought I've had in, in the past coming back to the question of aliens and sociology of you know, maybe they don't care about us. You know, they're, any more than we care about an ant, an anthill. And we're out there tromping around in the woods and we're not paying much attention to whether we're stepping on an ant or a bug of some kind. And so, you know, they could be around occasionally and, and just, you know, we're, we're so immaterial to them. that they don't care. They don't care whether they help us or hurt us. They're, they're just doing their thing and, and we might or might not get in the way. They're going to put a super highway right through the earth and it just happens to be in the way. And so the dolphins have enough sense to get out of there. Thanks for all the fish, but if you can't do that. You're in trouble. What's I, wish the best? I, I wish I had the wits to write a book like that. I mean, Douglas Adams is amazing.
1: Well, I'm curious too, because given your background and your, your expertise in this, is there a best question or conspiracy theorist some Conspiracy theory somebody's asked you, um or tried to convince you of, not convince you. Uh,
2: yeah, I guess the simple answer to that, Jessica, is no. I don't. I haven't had the pleasure of talking to too many conspiracy-minded people.
1: <laughs> oh man. Okay.
2: <laughs> I'm sure, we can find you some. Uh, oh no! I no. have a
1: debate. I have. I have a podium. We can have debates
2: <laughs> I know they're out there i i fret about it i think it's you know kind of un well i i i have fears that the the, the dangers of undoing democracy i think that's a valid a, a real fear and and what we do about that i i don't know um talk about it expose it got it well yeah and, and the ufo thing is a little bit like that right you can get into this i'm sure the government's hiding a, a Eviscerated alien and Area 51 sort of thing. It, it's a little bit of the same psychology, and I uh, Carl Sagan addressed that and sort of uh, talking about that kind of thing, believing in UFOs and whether they're aliens or not, and and you know what what the version of that sort of thing was 300 years ago when it was angels doing things rather than aliens doing things. It's been part of the human psychology for a long time. Uh, that's not to demean human psychology. That's part of our imagination and how we think about things and then end up inventing new things and all this. So it, it just, its uh, it can have its downsides sometimes.
0: <laughs> well, do you think that as we uh, as we go forward in time that some of these UAPs, these unexplained aerial phenomena that are currently unexplained, and I don't mean as you pointed out, the, mat, the vast majority of these things get explained, but there's a subset that clearly aren't
2: yet. They're truly unexplained. Do
0: you, do you think this will, they will fall into the category of, you know, one year, five years, 10 years from now, we have explanations. And I think back to the days when I was a little kid and reading about the Bermuda Triangle and thinking there was something oh, yeah. weird about this place and it was bizarre and whatnot. Of course, in hindsight, it turns out there was nothing, you know, you, you grow up, you study science, but technology advances, GPS advances, the resiliency of all the onboard uh, instruments advances, and suddenly nothing's disappearing in this so-called Bermuda Triangle anymore. And people realize, oh, better ships, better navigation, better communication, nothing disappears, nothing weird at all going on. Do you think that this the sensors will improve in such a way? And, and do you think that there's an eff- there'll be efforts to improve these sensors to try to explain these UAPs? Obviously we have radar and things like that to detect enemy aircraft and things like that. But is there any effort going into trying to understand UAPs and the different sensing techniques you might want to use to understand?
2: Yeah, I'd I'd kind of put my physicist hat on again. So, I mean, these recent reports are all coming out of the Pentagon. And I guess that's appropriate. But part of me would say, and this is nothing against the Pentagon either, but it seems to me there is a physical problem, a problem of physics here. Mm-hmm. And and that one should then sit down as a basic scientist and say, what are the facts in front of me? What do I need to do to understand that better and do experiments? Uh, I, I don't exactly know what you do. You go in with a new airplane every day and fly the same path that the Navy pilot did and see whether... You see it again under the same circumstance i mean they're just they're just rigorous ways of going about it of, of doing it scientifically and I, I would love to see a program like that if somebody's got to fund it there's where the government comes in but i i think uh you know combining some physicists and some uh atmospheric scientists and whatever now biologists i don't know whatever oceanographers oceanographers maybe yeah and uh, letting them, letting them try to pose what the actual, you know, what do we know and what do we need to know to advance that? I'd love to see that. And, and I think some of these unexplained things would then fall into the explained category if you did that.
0: I like That's- that solution. I, I think it should be a multi-domain Approach to understanding it—that'd be great. Yeah,
2: you just—you know—I've got some mysterious thing I want to understand. Well, okay, we we have something called the scientific method, which <laughs> is pretty effective in doing things like that. So let's use it,
0: and which about half our country believes in. So that's uh <laughs> well, that's an <laughs> issue, but the three of us here do, and our right. audience
1: does,
2: and uh, we we know it's an effective way of going about things. Yeah.
1: So one final question today, and we really appreciated this conversation and getting to hear and learn from you. And we've talked around it, but I want to ask you, so what do you think the the UAPs are? The documented ones, the ones that are from credible sources, what do you think they are? Martians. Sorry. Yeah,
2: I, I think they are probably some kind of you know, atmospheric reflection phenomenon that makes them look like they're behaving strangely when they're really not that strange. Um, again, if you, if you see a, you see something reflecting and, and, and you, you, you see it reflecting here and then conditions change a little bit and you see it reflecting over here, it's going to look like it jumped very mm-hmm. rapidly when it, it, it wasn't. There's a I mean, there's a technical phrase of a phase velocity versus a group velocity. And, 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 I, you know, I I I would guess it's some kind of a phase velocity phenomenon, um, but you know that uh, a Navy pilot could say, "Ah, your phase." I mean, I I saw what I saw, right? So it's, that, that, that's just squeaking out of it. I uh, but but that that's where my thinking goes. That it, that it's some kind of a a knowable phenomenon.
0: I, I'm glad to hear you say that. That's sort of my hunch as well, that it's atmospheric. I love your characterization of it as a phase velocity versus group velocity thing, because that can give an, a, an apparent velocity that is much greater and, and thus can be perceived as, wow, what's going on? That's faster than anything I could have I've ever seen before or imagined. But um, I suspect it's something like that, too. But I love your idea of assembling a team of, of scientists with different expertise to try to understand it. Well, Craig, thank you very much for joining the show. You so um, you, you've been a podcast guest before, and I always love having you on and look forward to your book on the future of humanity and can't wait to uh, talk to you about that and maybe have you present something about that at one of our in-person events as well. Um, wow. Look forward to reading it most of all. But thank you for joining us today.
2: My, my play, I, I appreciate you letting me spout out on this. I didn't realize I had many thoughts on it. <laughs> until I started thinking about it.
0: <laughs> Well, I've, I've certainly been uh, asked about it an awful lot because of the PhD I got under your guidance in astronomy. And everybody thinks I have an opinion on this. And I'm like, I, I, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the plane. I didn't see the aerial phenomena.
2: <laughs> well, and, and I still have that handicap. I have never seen anything that would constitute an unidentified aerial phenomenon.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Look forward to it.
2: Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in person events at AustinForum.org. The upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.